Thank you very much. How you doing? You all right? Uh, it's, it's an amazing pleasure just to be here. Um, yes, I have been here in, in a different time, <laughs> teaching people how to grind for the Lord. I, it's not on my CV, funny enough, Chris. But um, uh, I also used to uh, go to King's Church in uh, Catford, where I used to manage a football team. So I remember beating you guys quite a lot, quite regularly. <laughs> what position did you play, Chris? Was it? Subsequent, yeah. <laughs> so we've got a lot of history. You've also loaned us some amazing people to come to Emmanuel Church London as well, which is brilliant. And um, no, it's, honestly, it's just great just coming here. Um, I was just saying to Chris, the level of energy, you can definitely feel the spirit when you walk in. You guys uh, have been also a massive blessing to us, just some of the prayers. We launched Emmanuel New Cross uh, October 2016. And uh, you guys just walked alongside us all the way. So thank you so much. Um, my name is Ben Lindsay. I am a pastor. Um, I am a soon-to-be-published author. My first book is coming out in, in July, which is really scary. Um, I also just want to be really clear. What I want to talk about today is something I've worked in for the last 20 years, uh, youth violence, uh, the youth sector, young people. And um, I just want to be really clear. I do not have a criminal record. I am not a gang or ex-gang member. I've never carried a knife. So I have to say that because what I need people to understand is the reason why I'm doing the work I'm doing, particularly with young people and families around youth violence, is simply because in 2000, Jesus came into my life. Opened my eyes to what was going on around my community and basically said, go and do something about it. I say that because I don't want anyone here to discount themselves. I don't want anyone here to think, you know, this youth finance thing is so big that I can't get involved. If you've got the compassion of Jesus in you, you can make a difference to what is going on in, in London and beyond. So I just want to, before we crack into what I'm going to talk and share, I just want to show a quick film. Um, it just gives you a little bit of an idea about my charity. Uh, but hopefully you'll find it, uh, I don't know, I just hope you just listen to what's been said and take it in. So I don't know how these things work, but run film. I want us, and when I say us, I'm not talking about black people. I want us. You might want to have the visuals as well. <laughs> just a suggestion. That's cool. Oh, and lights as well. Cool. And when I say us, I'm not talking about black people. I want us, people of Britain, black, white, pink, blue, gray, whatever you are, whoever you are, to really understand that this tragedy that is being visited upon us is not something for the black community, but this is something for the whole of Britain. I want all our politicians to understand that. I want people who live in the more um, leafier suburbs to understand it, that the story of the mothers and the families who weep at the loss of their children that their story must become our story. Because if it does not become our story, then we are heading for a kind of Britain that really it's going to be all our downfall. We're going to talk to two months. We arrived and 
at the scene, we could see like something obviously bad had happened because the, the police tape was there and there was loads of people just sort of hanging about. There was an ambulance in one corner and it was like, it was just chaos. So we got to the destination and as I, I'm going up to where the, the, the cordon off, um, my daughter comes running out and she, I could see that she was hysteric, hysterical. And she grabs me and we hug each other and I said, where's Nathaniel? And the police officer's come in at the same time and she kind of beckons to the police officer to say, well, it's okay, I'll do it kind of thing. And then she takes me to the corner and she says, and then she tells me that Nathaniel's been stabbed and he hasn't made it. He literally died on the spot. disbelief like how why who all those questions come flooding I need to see my son um, and I remember like because I, I said to her where is he where is he she, she said he's in that house there and I was like okay and I remember just running towards the house and as I got to the door obviously there's police officers there and they're like you can't go in and I'm like you can't tell me that my son's in there I need to see him I need to see my son you're telling me that he's dead but I can't believe it well the, the main issue is the increase in serious youth violence that's playing out across the UK but particularly in London is where our focus is at the moment uh, over the last two years I would say that um, violence itself in London has increased by about 50% so it's around about um, 40 offences every day involving violence uh, with a knife in relation to uh, people who are getting stabbed um, that's increased by about 25% over the last two years so that means again every 24 hour period there's about six people who are getting stabbed which is just way too many and then slowly like my my older son came over because he was originally got the first telephone call from Nathaniel's friends who were there at the scene to say that Nathaniel was there with them and all hanging chilling having a good time and two other guys turned up who they didn't know and one of them confronted Nathaniel asking him who is he what's where's he from and I use this term what ends you from and Nathaniel being very suspicious was like I'm not going to tell him don't know you you know kind of thing so I think what happened as they pieced it together was that because Nathaniel didn't respond to the questions that this guy had thrown at him um, there was an altercation between Nathaniel I think they were squaring up with each other and then um, yeah when Nathaniel wasn't expecting it the guy pulled a knife out and stabbed him and so something that was supposed to be a nice time a nice party a chill back with them his friends having a good time turned out to be a tragedy Many community organisations, statutory organisations, youth groups, arts organisations, church and faith groups are being impacted by this issue and becoming motivated to help. But in the changing landscape, they often lack the awareness and skills needed to make a real sustained difference. At Power to Fight, we think everyone has a vital role to play. We want to inspire and equip hundreds of organisations and community groups to be part of the answer to youth violence in their context. This is a fight against injustice. This is a fight against the exploitation of our young people. How we equip ourselves and how we power that fight will make all the difference. Help us to empower communities to end youth violence.
Sunday the 3rd April 2016 I received a phone call <clears throat> I was away in sunny Shrewsbury uh, with my wife and children and uh, the phone rang and I'm under I'm always under strict instructions uh, when I'm on holiday with my wife do not answer the phone so I didn't and then it rang again I didn't answer the phone because I'm a good husband who obeys his wife. And um, <clears throat> when the text came through, Ben called me urgently. So I, I, I said, look, I better call. It's my friend, um, good friend of mine, Emmanuel. So I was like, all right, let me call back. And the words, which I will never forget, he is dead, Ben. Myron has been stabbed. He is dead. Um, to see if this works. If not, I'm going to let Charlotte just do what Charlotte does best. Um, I'm going to, yes, perfect. Thank you. So, Myron, 16 year old, um, known Myron since he was one years old and was murdered April the 3rd, 2016, in New Cross. And uh, I've worked in this field, I have worked in this field for 20 years. Unfortunately, I've seen many young people being killed, um, been to many funerals, but this is the first time where I've seen uh, a young person literally like cradle to grave. At his funeral, um, his best friend, Leonardo, gave a eulogy. And I, I'm never ever going to get used to children giving eulogies. I'm never going to get used to that. But he stood up and basically was talking about how Myron's his best friend and they'd gone through so much together. By August of that year, Leonardo was stabbed to death in Peckham. So now, we have this collective trauma within the community, and my best friend, Emmanuel, who is stepdad to Myron, basically said to me, Ben, you know what, we're not going to pray our way out of this one. We need to do something about it. The truth is, and I'll come back to this story a little bit later on. The truth is knife crime is not a new thing, but it's something which has been going on for a while. You might be used to some of these headlines. This is what we pretty much see daily in our press. Although, to be fair, recently Brexit has probably taken over most of the headlines. But I'll give you an advance warning. Summer's coming. And unfortunately, I've seen enough trends over the last 20 years to know come around August time, you're going to start seeing some of this stuff again. These are the headlines that we see. And it's scary. The reality is this. It is going up. Youth violence is going up. And knife crime in London, and you'll get used to me, I, I've got no problem talking about the real facts, and I'm going to say some stuff which maybe you'd be like, really, is that true? Can you even say that? I've got the microphone, so yes, I can. Um, unless Chris cuts it and then we're in trouble. But when knife crime in London disproportionately impacts black children, I'm just going to put it out there. That's the truth. But it's not exclusively a black problem across the UK. Even though, if we can go back to, yeah, there we go. Even though this would make it look like it, <laughs> it is, it's not exclusively a black problem across the UK, but it is on the rise. Yet the response from the UK church around this issue has been pretty much non-existent. 
if you look at the US, some of the churches historically in the US have really stood up for the societal problems which are going on, particularly within the black community, but the UK, for some reason, tends to be pretty silent. In Lewisham Borough, your neighbouring borough, between 2015 and 2017, we had seven young children murdered. Southwark, this borough, is the second highest London borough for knife crime. And last of this May, it's just gone 6th of May, an 18-year-old was stabbed not far from here. The number of fatal stabbings in England and Wales last year was the highest on records began since 1946. There's 285 killings by a knife or sharp instrument in the 12 months ending March 2018. There's been a 45% increase in the number of victims between 16 and 24. The figures also show that 25% of the victims were black, the highest proportion since data was first collected in 1997. But the statistic which I always find the most interesting is this last one. A 15% rise in the number of admissions to hospital in England for assaults involving a sharp instrument. Why is that, most, why is that an important one? Because we're not just dealing about fatalities. We're dealing about the things that we don't see about. We don't talk about or do not make the headlines. When I talk to surgeons, they say that the most common injury they see is across the hand because so many young kids are going like this when a knife comes. This is the reality. But you've also got to understand that what's happening is that there's something around a dominant youth culture now around this issue. Some of us might think, we know what's going on. It's the music. That's the problem. Maybe. Maybe not. What I do know is that young people, and it's brilliant to see young people here, when I speak to young people, they are fearful about what's going on in the streets. I'm fortunate, and it's a massive blessing, that I sit on Sadiq Khan's Violent Reduction Reference Group which basically means we are trying to work something out for London, and I'm the only person of faith who sits on that reference group. It's an amazing privilege, and I would definitely appreciate your prayers at some point. But the mayor put out this youth violence survey, almost 8,000 young people, and it's, it's interesting reading. This is what your young people are feeling and are feeling fearful about. The top problems in a young person's local area which they're concerned about, 31% of people are talking about being violent. 30% of them are talking about joining gangs. People carrying knives, that's 29%. This is what young people are fearful of. The top problems at school. So what are kids really thinking about in school? Not maths and English. But actually, the top problems they've got is people being violent, 28%. People stealing things, 21%. Hate crime incidents, 18%. And then if we continue, and this is where you think, okay, cool, this is, something else is happening. 44% of young victims reported their crime to the police. And less than a third of these, 29%, were happy with the service, suggesting there's actually a lack of confidence in the various, very people that young people go to the police. So we've got this issue where young people are more fearful about what is going on in the street. Now, I know I look young, 
don't let the cocoa butter fool you. I'm quite an old guy, really. Um, and I was talking to some young people recently, and I was like, listen, is this true? Like, in my day, when I'm walking down the street and I see someone who looks like me, you know, maybe dressed like me, I'm just not fearful. I'm not thinking they're carrying a knife. And I was talking to maybe 20 kids, and they turned around and was like, sir, you mad? If I see someone looking like me, I know they're carrying a knife. I'm like, what? How do you know they can? No, no, I'm not taking that risk. I'm not going to put any young people on the spot here. But what I keep hearing on a regular basis is that the fear levels is why people are picking up knives. So we've got this collective trauma going on in our community in a way I never had growing up. And don't get me wrong, I grew up one mile away from where Stephen Lawrence was murdered. My friends knew Stephen. I myself was a victim of a racist attack when I was 14 years old. It's not like we had it easy. But definitely, if I saw another black person walking towards me or another young person walking towards me, I'm not thinking he's carrying a knife. What we've got to understand as a church, this is what our young people are feeling and carrying. What are the reasons why we're in this mess in the first place? Obviously, there's a biblical answer where we can just say sin, but if we go a little bit deeper. Austerity, 1.6 billion has come off our local and central government in the last five years. And the first place what got hit was youth services and detached workers. Race disproportionality. I could go really deep into that. We haven't really got time, but if we look at the criminal justice system, exclusion rates, mental health issues, social housing. Weirdly, there's only 3% of us in London, us being black people, yet we hit top of all those issues. Police cuts. 30,000 police have come off our streets. Now, studies will tell you very clearly that increased police visibility reduces crime. So if you take 30,000 police off our streets, what do you think is going to happen? I could go into what I think about stop and search. I'm not anti-stop and search. If you stop somebody and they're carrying a knife, that's a good thing. But if you stop me again and again and again and I'm not carrying a knife and you don't tell me the reasons why, that's a problem. Nihilism. Any Disney fans here? Come on. Yeah. A few of you are like, boy, I'm not sure about that. I understand. I'm not a Disney fan. Fortunately, when you have children, you have to become a Disney fan. So um, I said to my wife, right, uh, Incredibles 2 came out a few months ago. I said, oh, I'm going to take my kids. My kid is um, six and three years old. So I was like, all right. Took them. And my wife is like, you sure you want to take them to see Incredibles 2? I was like, yeah, Incredibles 1 was fine. Be all right. Until we're in the cinema and my three-year-old starts screaming at this particular like, dark scene and violent scene. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm in big trouble when I get back. But couldn't work it out. Incredibles 1 was so kind of light. Incredibles 2 was a little bit darker. My point is this. Nihilism does not begin and end with young people and knife crime. Our society and community is getting more violent. What we're seeing, whether it's stuff on EastEnders, which I don't watch, but apparently it can get a bit fruity at times. What we're listening to, just things which become more normalised. 
we are, violence is becoming a lot more accessible. Pornography has become a lot more accessible. All this stuff. So we can't then expect our children not to be impacted by this stuff. Unemployment, marginalization, addiction, unaddressed trauma, undiagnosed mental health illness, all these things cause a problem. So what can the church do? I've set a very bleak picture, haven't I? The Bible is very clear on the role Christians are to play in serving the needs of those in less fortunate positions in society. Micah 6, 8 says this, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. This is what the Bible teaches us to do. And the UK church has a reputation over history of doing charitable work very, very well. Our Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, said this. National education, many hospitals, many hospices, the majority of full-time youth workers, all these were started, were, were started and run by the church and other faith groups. My challenge to us, to you guys, is that can the church do more? than what we're currently doing. Can we be more astute? Can we be more specific to the particular needs that we are dealing with right now? The effects of issues such as the increase in racism and hate crime after Brexit, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, xenophobia, extremism, and immigration problems on minority groups are not often seen as pulpit worthy topics but they are f faced in the daily lives of ethnically diverse communities such as you guys so here's the thing as I've had time to think about this what the verse which kept coming to my mind is this one if one member suffers all suffer together if one member is honoured all rejoice together the problem was, over 20 years, I saw communities suffering, but not everybody suffering together. The amount of times I've been in church contests over the last 20 years, and said, you know what, young people are getting killed, young people are getting involved in stuff, can we do something about it? And while the heart was there, there wasn't anything which was tangible, which was coming out. The question I've got for you is, how well do you know your neighbour? One of my favorite quotes is by a guy called Brian Stevenson. He's written an incredible book called Just Mercy. I'd recommend you all read it. You can't understand the important things from a distance. You have to get close. So if you finance, if knife crime is an issue, and I think we can all agree it is an issue, how close are you prepared to get to understand the nuances and the issues which goes on with that, which is impacting families and young people, so we can actually make an impact. How close? How far are we prepared to go? How well do you love your neighbor and know your neighbor? Jesus himself encouraged followers to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what he said in Mark 12. How well do you know your local context? Savak Baba. Here we are. One of the most 
densely populated and diverse boroughs in the country, a third of Southwark's adult population is BME. White British people in Southwark made up 40% of the population in 2011, while black people made up 27%, with more than half of this group being black African. And this increases in the education system. The reason I'm banging on about this stuff, and I've already said that Southwark is the second highest borough in the capital for knife crimes, is because if we are going to deal with this issue, we've got to understand who this issue impacts disproportionately, and then ask ourselves the question, are we prepared to engage with that community? I'm not trying to make this a black thing. I've already said this across the country, this doesn't impact black people in the same way. Anybody know what the highest murder rate in the UK was in 2005? Glasgow. And we know there's no black people in Glasgow. Maybe two. So we know this isn't just like, oh, violence, black people, crime, black people. It's not that. But let's get specific about what's going on in southeast London. And it breaks my heart to say it, but this issue disproportionately impacts black kids. If I've already said, actually, do you know what? Some of the reasons why this is happening is because of exclusions. We, I know we've got school teachers here. So we also got to understand that studies tell us that there is a school to school exclusion to people referral unit to prison pipeline. That is proven. It always has been, right? So we've got to look specifically that if statistics show us that black children particularly are three to one more likely to be excluded, then we've got to start putting the links. Oh, actually, they're the highest group of people to be in the criminal justice system as well. We've got to start looking more specific. The question really is, what is your idea of mission? What is your idea of mission? Any African heritage people here? I see a few. Big up yourself. It's all good. I've got an African proverb. The truth is, I don't know if it is an African proverb, but it always sounds good when I say African proverb, right? I've got an African proverb. <laughs> All right, so this proverb is, is, a, is about the village, not a classic one. You might have heard me say this before. But um, there's a guy walking down a, a stream, near, a river, near, near a stream, river, stream, water, and um, basically he sees a, 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 a young child drowning. He does what everybody would do apart from me because I can't really swim. He jumps in and saves that child. Tick. Great. Save the kid. Next day, he's walking down the same river. He sees two kids drowning. He jumps in and saves both of them. The next day, he sees three kids. And this goes on and goes on. After about a week, he's like, you know what? I need some help. So he gets his friends involved. He gets the other villagers in the mix. And they're saving these kids. And this is going on for weeks. Whole squadrons and platoons and all people start getting involved. The whole village is involved. And they save some kids. They don't save them all, but Pastors, counselors, everybody comes and pats them on the back and saying, You're doing a good job. You're saving some. You're reacting. Until one bright spark, I don't know, maybe this guy or woman went to uni. I don't know. It's basically said this Why don't we go up the river and find out who's throwing the kids in in the first place? 
for me, this is a depiction of what church does well and does badly. You see, there's a difference between social welfare and social justice. Social welfare is picking the kids out of the water. And we do that really well. We do that with food bank. Someone's hungry, we feed them. There's nothing negative about that. That is a good thing. Someone's in debt, we do cap. It's cool. But, and Jesus did that, this is to be very clear. People are hungry, he feeds them. <laughs> it's not a problem. But guess what? Jesus also challenged the very structures that caused the poverty and deprivation in the first place. He called Herod a fox. Yeah? He uh, challenged Zacharias on how he was dealing with taxes and people. The very structures which caused the poverty, Jesus also went for. And we are called to imitate Jesus, yeah? So, we're not just meant to do social welfare, we're meant to do social justice as well. What is your idea of mission? This guy called Doug Logan, again, written a brilliant book called On the Block, he says this, mission does not simply amount to a profession of theological truths in new contexts. We cannot hope for the mere intellectual salvation of community members, abstractly hoping that they will hear our speeches and come to Christ. Instead, we must enter into communities physically and emotionally. We must enter into their suffering and speak the gospel into their individual broken contexts. We cannot effectively serve broken people and bring them the gospel unless we know their brokenness. We've got to get close to the issue and the people who are suffering. We all remember the tragedy of Grenfell Tower a couple of summers ago. The church shone a light in a dark situation, the Church of St. Clement's, Nottingdale, offered a refuge for those impacted by the disaster. Grieving families found shelter and were given donations of, of clothes and food. Reverend Alan Everett, who leads St. Clement's, described the moment. He says this, I was woken up at 3 a.m. by a priest who lives in a tower, and so I came down to the church, opened the doors, and turned the lights on. A journalist who was interviewing Everett said this, listening to Everett, and this journalist is not a Christian, listening to Everett, it struck me that opening the doors and turning the lights on was precisely the difference between the church and the local authority. Can we open the doors and turn the lights on individually and collectively when it comes to this youth violence issue? This is why I set up Power to Fight. Because in my mind, we could do more than what we are currently doing. You've all probably got one of these on your, on your chair. And very simply what we do is that we help equip faith groups, churches, arts organizations, anybody. We train them. We put free resources on our, on our website for people to check in and listen and learn about this issue. We build connections. So we bring community people together with school teachers, with MPs, with arts organisations. We bring everybody into the room. Why? 
because we believe that this isn't just one part of society's issue, it's a societal problem, which means it requires a societal response. And we are raising a fund specifically for families and young people who have been impacted by this issue. Therapeutic care, legal costs. But what can you do? I always say this, and it's really interesting, sometimes non-believers get this more than we do as Christians. So when I teach, talk to Sadiq Khan, he loves the church, you know. He's a Muslim, but he loves the church, and he understands what the church can do. He says to me, Ben, I don't understand that you guys get to keep hundreds and thousands of children on a Friday night in church. I don't know how you do that. We need to somehow replicate that. Right, yeah. Sorry? Make him welcome. Yeah, I'll invite him down there. He'll come down. He, he's actually, honestly, would love to come and visit many churches. Here's one of the things. I always say about churches, we've got three things which this government currently have not got. Buildings, resources, and volunteers. We know things have gone pear-shaped with the government. But on every street corner, other than really expensive coffee shops, we've got church buildings like this. So what can we do? I always say we can break this into three levels, engagement, aftermath, and long term. So what you're currently doing, and I'm assuming you do this well, you have your children's churches, you've got your youth groups, and you've got maybe your 20s groups. But... One of the things I always try and encourage people, let's not wait for an incident to happen. When Myron passed, when Leonardo passed, one of the reasons why we were able to engage with the families and the police so well is because I was already known as a pastor in the area. I went and chaired independent advisory groups. Some of my church members were members of the Safer Neighbourhood Board, stop and search groups. They went to council meetings. They attended MP surgeries. They had police engagement, local authority engagement. Some of them were school governors. I'm saying to you, this is what you need to be doing so you can start influencing with the heart of Christ in the very structures which may well cause some of the problems in the first place. I always get this. I always get two questions. One around race. Oh, Ben, I'm, I'm, if you're a white person, I'm a white person. I don't really know how to engage with race issues which is a legitimate question. And then with this youth violence issue, Ben, you know, he's so big and so massive, I don't know how to engage. I'm like, you can do so much. <laughs> this is just some ideas. As a church, yes, if something happens, we can help pay for funerals. This is what we did with Myron. We can do counselling and pastoral care. We can pay for legal costs, advocacy, one of the families I worked with needed to move house because their house was shot up by some gangsters. So they needed to move. I was able to take them to Parliament, get them to meet their local MP, and they were moved. I'm not special. I just make time for the people who are decision makers because they have to meet with us. They have to meet with us. We're, you know, we're paying their salary. We signpost. Long term, remember I talked about schools. And I basically was saying, well, you know what? Some, I know that some churches have, have partnered up with um, organizations like Transforming Lives for Good. 
to build schools within their church, alternative provisions, mentoring, funding of projects. There's so much that we can do. Those verses right there. If one member suffers, all suffer together. Are we prepared to suffer together? We are the answer. In 20 years, I've never seen the church across the UK now prepared to engage in this issue. That's honest truth. Something is happening spiritually where God is opening doors and opportunities for us, the body of Christ, to engage with this issue. The question is, are we up for it? Mm. It's okay, that response. Because it is nervous to step into this. But we've got to understand this. Jesus was active. Jesus walked, whether it was to the temple to challenge the religious leaders or to the sea where working class manual laborers earned a living, Jesus went and engaged with locals to present his hope, his mercy, and his love. Are we prepared to do the same? Are you prepared to step up? Because when you see the pain and suffering which is happening in our communities, particularly around this issue, you are the answer. Throughout the history of the Bible, he takes weak individuals like me and you, he breathes upon us, and then God does the miraculous. Sadiq Khan, City Hall, Home Office, they always say the same thing. This is going to take 10 to 15 years to fix. And I laugh in my head. You know why? Because Jesus' ministry was only three and a half years. And changed the world. I haven't got 10, 15 years. None of us has. So how do we respond? I think there's a few things we can do here. For some of us, it might be a repentance thing, you know. For some of us, it might be like, that's them, and this is me. As long as I'm cool, as long as my family's are cool, we're going to let them crack on. Can't impact my children. Unfortunately, I've seen it impact all types. Isaiah 116 is one of the verses I love the most. Actually, 117 is the verse that gets quoted the most. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. We tend to forget verse 16, the bit before it. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds before my eyes cease to do evil. There's a repentance thing we need to sometimes do when it comes to before we then want to engage and help. Maybe some of us are there. Maybe for some of us it's this. The issue is too big. I've got my own problems going on. This issue is massive. Do you know, one of my favorite stories is the story of Esther. And you know why Mordecai could go to Esther for help when the Jews were being persecuted? Do you know why? Because she had the ear to the king. My brothers and sisters, we've got the ear to the king. Yeah? We're clothed in power. His power is within us. We've got the ear to the king. Nothing is impossible. Maybe for some of us, we need to understand who, how big God is. 
Maybe for some of us, it's just fear. And I talk to my young people here. I get it. Well, I don't, actually. But I try. You guys are living in a different world. You do. But you know what I'd encourage you to do? Daily. Read Psalm 23. Daily. Daily. God is our shepherd. God will walk with us. God, even when we walk through the, the valley of the shadow, God is with us. He won't let you down. I've been you. I've been young. I've had to navigate through dangerous, dangerous stuff. I'm still here. And you can do the same thing. Maybe for some of us it's just an apathy or prejudice. Again, look at that verse. If one member suffers... And finally, I just want to say for some of us, it might really be a moment just for a call for action. Maybe for some of you, you've been thinking, what can I do? You've just been given a blueprint. There is no excuse. It might be financial. It might be opening your doors. It might be setting up initiatives. It might be going to become a school governor. You can do something. We need you to do something. Your children need you to do something. This community needs the body of Christ to step up. So what I want to do very quickly, I am a pastor. I love to pray. I feel God is here. And I just love us just to close our eyes for a moment. And if you feel any of those things I've just said, whether it's a case of repentance whether it's a case of thinking, do you know what? I didn't even consider that I have the ear to the king to impact this issue. Whether it's a case of, you know, I've been fearful, but I'm reminded that God is a good God who will walk with me. Whether you feel like there's a commissioning moment. Any of those things, particularly with this issue around young people, all I want you to do is just stand where you are, and I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray for you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the men and women, boys and girls, in this room who are making a stand to support, love, encourage, build connections, impact this issue around youth violence in whatever context they're in, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray for a, a flood of your power to fall upon every single person here. Give them ideas, Lord. Give them a zeal. Break their hearts for the things that break yours. Where there's repentance, let them repent, Lord. <laughs> Where there's fear, give them boldness, Lord. <laughs> do a mighty work Lord so City Hope can be known as a, a beacon church so when local authorities come and say wow what is going on here your young people are engaged we can send young people to you equip them, train them anoint them Lord we need churches like this I thank you even years ago I was able to stand here and and speak to young people, Lord. There's something in their DNA, Lord, where they care about this community. Do something, Jesus. Stir the hearts of your people, Lord. 
Come, Holy Spirit. We need you. We're tired of seeing young people murdered. We're tired of seeing families being destroyed. We haven't got 15 years, Lord. We need to see movement now. So I say, Holy Spirit, do a work in these people. Break their hearts. Equip them in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Listen, that was a, a seriously challenging word. It's, it's a word that's kind of grounded in our environment, in, in, in our cult, in our kind of area. Um, but I just wanted to say, you know, Jesus never gives us something we can't handle. He never puts a pressure on us that we, he's not also going to empower us to kind of uh, do correctly. And, um, and I, just want, I, just, I just felt like it was really important to know, you know, when Jesus, someone... Um, wrote this upstairs uh, when Jesus uh, was getting arrested and the, uh, um, Peter took the sword and, and chopped his, uh, the, the ear of the guard uh, Jesus' response to that was no, it's not time for that he heals the guard um, because he knew that actually the answer to it was going to go to the cross and obedience to his father and um, we're, our, our concerns the things that we're worried about, we have to take to the cross. We have to say, Jesus, will you help us? Will you show us what we need to do? And practically, that might mean hardship, or practically it might mean just learning to pray more. But we, we, I know that it's not about you know, being scared of what's coming, but actually standing faithful in what God's telling us to do. I would just love just to very briefly pray for Ben again as he goes. Um, yeah, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you've put on Ben's shoulders. I thank you that you've given him your spirit to do that. And, and I pray, Lord, as, as he's spoken to us, Lord, I pray he would go out uh, with a real anointing and authority to speak truth and hope and freedom into situations that he comes across Lord, and I pray for us as a church, as we go through our day-to-day -day life, and, and this is part of uh, living in London, I pray you would give us a confidence in your gospel. Lord, knowing the answer isn't to, to kind of think we're just going to hide away from this and pretend it's not happened, or we're going to get violent um, kind of uh, about it, but actually to meet it with grace and with the hope of the gospel. I pray, Holy Spirit, for our young people. Lord, I thank you. Uh, I thank you for the schools they're in. I thank you for how they're tackling this head on. I thank you for the wisdom that you're giving to those schools. I thank you for the churches uh, across this area that are doing such great work already. And we pray for a continued blessing on it. And I pray that. I thank you we never have to walk in fear because you walk with us. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, God, Holy Spirit. You were poured out on all flesh, and so we walk with you daily. I pray for our youth group to know the presence of the Holy Spirit upon them as they walk day by day throughout life, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray for the teachers in this room. I pray for Peter Wood, who's really thinking about how do we, how do we tackle this problem right from um, the, the youngest of them in, in primary school. I pray for an anointing on him to know how to do it, how to um, tackle it, Lord Jesus. And, and anyone else that is, has had their heart 
stirred towards it, would you do something incredible and just open up hope where it feels hopeless to them at this moment? Lord, I thank you, Lord, that our ultimate trust is in you, in the accomplished and finished work of Christ, and we put our trust in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.